What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right, what's up? And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today, I am joined by Rohit Agarwal. Sorry, I almost said that wrong for a second. But Rohit, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. And, uh, you know, happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday. We've been talking about doing this for a while. And obviously, you know, we've been in talks, you know, helping on loans for different clients that we have talking about Sora, the software company that you are co-founder of. So we'll get through Mm -hmm. all of that. But um, before we get into the topic and talking about the current state of loans and debt and different options, give everybody a quick intro to who you are, what you do, and all that stuff. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. Uh, So, Robert Agarwal, I guess the most important thing about me. Uh, uh, I'm the dad to two wonderful girls. Got a four-year-old and two-year-old. I live out here in San Francisco with my wife. I'm born and raised in in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, but I've made my way out here after going to grad school in, in Chicago. I uh, went to, to law and business school at Northwestern there um, and then spent time kind of at, at McKinsey out here for a while, but got really focused on personal finance and financial wellness in, in particular. And I think I got really into the idea of um, how advisors in particular, I think, do a really effective job uh, kind of playing three roles with their clients. And so that's what got me kind of really with advisors. I'd say one kind of this overall psychological human coaching aspect. Uh, and then two around, uh, you know, just how to optimize their finances. And I thought, how do you get it to a world where every American has that level of financial advice um, and got really into the idea of debt as a, a big component that a lot of people struggle with. Um, and that's kind of where we came about starting Sora in the summer of 2021. Okay. Perfect. I'm excited to talk about Sora at the end, because I'm sure a lot of people have not heard about the company yet. Um, And I'll kind of walk through why I think it's a good solution to some problems that exist. But before we get to that, let's kind of just give us an update of kind of what you're seeing um, in just the lending markets right now. Yeah, yeah. I think depending on on what part, you know, what product you look at, all lending is typically down except for credit card debt. I think as you see kind of where rates have continued to rise, and in particular over the last couple of weeks, uh, you've seen a significant decline in uh, home loans, particularly new home loans. You've seen a almost the refinancing market completely bottom out, very few refinancing. You know, you got 90% of Americans are in mortgages below 6%, uh, whereas, you know, the 30-year fixed right now is floating between 65 to, to 7%. So I think a big decline in the uh, in the home loan market. We, we still see people buying new cars, though. I think we've consistently seen folks buy new cars, and I think that's even more, you know, consistent auto loans and the I think the average monthly payment on an auto loan is at at an all-time high. Uh, And I think that's just the the factor of people need cars. and They need to get around, and and it's something that's consistent. And also car prices have have gone up. Uh, We're really, you know, right now focused on what's going to happen with student loans. I think, you know, you got payments resuming October 1st. uh, And it'll be interesting to see 
how many people, even though a lot of them are kind of around a 6.8% rate, uh, just given where the Fed, where federal student loans tend to be, what they'll end up doing, uh, and we'll be there, you know, you can refinance probably as low as 5% right now is the best if you have stellar credit and, and good income. Uh, but most refinancing options will be around 6.8%. Yeah. So I think you you will see a bunch of folks that refinance just to extend their monthly payments or reduce their monthly payment and extend the term on, on the student loan side. Uh, you know, one, one thing we're seeing a lot of, I was just looking at our lending activity through the platform, uh, is just a lot of HELOCs in particular, as people still hmm. kind of built up equity in their home, even though rates are floating much higher. Uh, yeah. You know, with Prime at, at eight and a quarter. Um, that's kind of where, where we are in the, I'd say the, the lending market. Okay. Well, let's talk about every single topic a little bit yeah, yeah. in detail, yeah. actually. And the one that I wasn't even thinking about, that would be a really great one to start with is student loans. So mm-hmm. what I'm curious about is your thought here on the refinancing side, because what you're saying is you think you'll see a lot of people refinance, yeah. at, you know, with rates really similar to what they would have if they didn't refinance. I get the point of, okay, let's stretch this out. Let's reduce the monthly payment, which for a lot of people, they don't really think about total interest costs. They really just think about it's affordable and should we stretch this out? But don't you think there's like a point in, I guess this could go either way. Is there a point in not refinancing because you still don't clearly know all of the things that are going to happen student loan wise? Like, okay, great. We have a Republican president come in next. Probably that's going to stop, right? But if Biden wins again or somebody on the democratic side wins again i you have to assume they're probably going to try to attack student loans even more and hope yep. that not just yep. the reform happens but change happens and so if you do yep. refinance you are yep. going to miss out on the potential changes that could come but then i also see the other side to say like if over this last you know basically it will be four years forgiveness mm-hmm. never never happened mm-hmm. they've pushed super hard you had all of the economic reasons the setup yep. to actually maybe let this happen, then why yep. would it ever happen? I could see both sides. And I think it's one of those yep. things that when you talk to people, you just have to give them that information and say, which route exactly. do you want to go? Because exactly. the advisor, if you tell them refinance and something happens, yep. you missed out. If you tell them don't refinance and rates keep going up and now they missed out on this and they can't afford the monthly payments now they're not saving as much, then you yep. also tell them. Yeah. That's I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, and it kind of goes back to why I, I'm, I'm so bullish on kind of RIAs in the advisor sector in general, because I think what you just painted out is, uh, is how complex a lot of this stuff is. So our, our, our advice when we talk to, you know, Sora's customer or clients of advisors is one, we actually just want to provide the data exactly as you put for the advisor to have the conversation. Uh, and I think step one, though, if you have federal student loans, when repayment, you know, interest starts accruing September 1st is first try to get into an income-based repayment plan if you can, just so you can qualify. Do you qualify for an income-based repayment plan, which now has moved from 10% of your income needs to be paid back to 5%? Uh, two, be aware, if you miss a payment, uh, the Biden administration, those payments will not be reported to a credit bureau for 12 months uh, is the new thing that came out. And to your point on the really? third, yeah, so 12 months, they're saying to you know give people... I guess to quote President Bonham, you know, time to get back up to speed on the, on these payments, which will average, you know, I, I think it is going to stunt this and, you know, drive down inflation a bit, but we'll average about $420 a month for the average student loan borrower um, starting October 1st. I, I'd say the third thing you got to do to your point is evaluate what is the probability or what do you think? Well, you know, the administration is trying a different path for student loan forgiveness. Uh, you know, they tried to do it through the HEROES Act from, from 2001. 
but now the secretary is trying to do it through a different path. What's the probability either through president Biden or whoever's like, you know, if he's elected again in 2024, that it happens. Cause you would give that up. Um, fourth thing is, do you qualify for public service student loan forgiveness? And have you done that application? You know, I think for, for jobs, so that's all on the federal side. And then compare that to for your profile. If you were to refinance, here's the best rate you can get. Just see how that data point. I think that's where our software is, it's powerful and saying, okay, we're going to scan SoFi, Juno, Ernest, et cetera, all these providers and say, okay, for your profile, this is the best you can get and compare that against that to uh, to make a decision. And, and that's where a lot of times it's sore. We don't have a lot of insight into their kind of income and budgeting and savings and planning. Then that's a part where I think the advisor needs to have the conversation uh, with the client. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think people kind of mix up this like income-driven plans with the forgiveness mm-hmm. side, like they're... Like I have nobody I work with that will, I have one client who could potentially get forgiveness down the line and like yep. call it seven more years. Other than that, I don't have a single other client who would qualify. Yep. So you yep. drop the forgiveness. Then you have the income driven plans, which the new income driven plans will decrease what your monthly payment will be, but you're still yep. going to stretch it out for 20 years and then it get forgiven. Right. So the yep. math that people have to do is say, you know, is that mm-hmm. going to end up actually saving you much? Yep. And yep. what if any changes happen too? Like if it's not going to save you that much, it's probably worth just refinancing and, and paying them off. But mm-hmm. again, you have to go evaluate all of these options and mm-hmm. you know, things can get complex kind of fast. Yep. 100%. And then, and, and then the last thing to mention on student loans is some employers, I, I, we'll see if it picks up or not, but using it as an employee benefit to help basically the same way that they're kind of putting into an HSA account or something, could they put something against your student loans? But I'm uh, I don't sure the new the new rules yeah. are yeah. like it it's like a 401k match. So I don't know if it's fully yeah. like, hey, if you put into your 401k, they match you there. If they're like, hey, six yeah. percent of your income will mm-hmm. match into student loans instead of your 401k. It's something like that. I haven't seen anybody enact it yet. Yeah. Um, but it would be really good. That's definitely something to look into. But sure. you know, I think the thing to think about that I'm hesitant on is if you're in your 20s. You know, yeah. 6% loan, are you better to get money in the market for 50 years, 45 exactly. years, or are you better off taking that money to go down to student mm-hmm. loans? Yeah, maybe it'll help you get rid of that monthly payment sooner, but you have to evaluate both those because some people are just like, get rid of debt, there's interest, yeah. it's fixed, guaranteed. But, yeah. you know, we've all seen the math. If you start investing 10 years later, you know, the, yeah. the difference in portfolio value is massive. Yeah. So you don't want to only just take pay off debt, especially yeah. if you can get an okay rate and it's not unaffordable for you. Yeah. I, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think that's 100% the right way to look at it on the side. And one thing we're working on, it, it's quite, it's going to take us a bit, but, you know, just a lot of folks use kind of Monte Carlo or different ways to simulate uh, on the asset side and portfolios, you know, what they will do over time. We're trying to do the same thing on uh, individual's debt. Mm. So could you look at like here and figuring out when you will interact with debt again in your life, say if you're 25 right now, to your point, you know what, on average, it's not exact, you could change it. You might take out a, a mortgage at 34 or 32. And you can try to try to build that into the way an advisor thinks about uh, what, what, how much you should be investing each month uh, versus the, the uh, paying off debt. Yeah, I love that. Okay, cool. So there's student loans. Let's go to mortgages. So, you know, I actually yeah. reached out to you recently because yeah. I'm thinking about yeah. buying here pretty soon. And yeah. um, I'm curious of what you're seeing in loans. And I think it'd be really interesting to also talk about like now are we actually, for at least for the entire time I've been an advisor, I've never yeah. told people to look at 
um, arms pretty much because yeah. the rates were so low. Definitely yeah. not interest only. I don't. Th- I still probably wouldn't say interest only. Um, yeah. But I'd love to talk about what we're seeing, those different options we have, what could make them attractive, um, and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great question. You know, our view right now is, and it is a bit of a bet that if you look at, we don't like three year arms in general, but we do recommend looking at at five years if you can, because yeah. I think we feel relatively confident within five years rates will be lower than where they are today. Uh, now, obviously, that is a, a a forecast which could prove out to be wrong, and it, it could be you know inflation could be incredibly stubborn or something else happens. But uh, that is a view. So we like to compare, you know, with customers. We say, here's your options you got on a thirty year, a five year, and a seven year, um, <clears throat> based on your profile. And it's very different. You know, one thing I think we've learned a lot scanning a bunch of lenders and building out these lender relationships is how different pricing is based on geography, based on type of home, based on credit score, based on debt to income ratio. It does move. And I think the, the interesting thing that we like to talk about is for any profile, there's about 110 basis points spread on any given day. That's between, a lot. Yeah, the best on, on mortgage. And it's much wider on auto. It's much wide, even much wider on personal loans, unsecured personal. But um, so we, we recommend uh, if the five-year arm is, you know, at least 25 basis points or more lower to go with a, a five-year arm is what you're saying, but it's the advisor and client's decision at the end of the day. We, we show the math. Uh, and that's simply based on because we think rates will come down within five years. Uh, yeah. if, they, if they're tighter, you know, you could say, hey, I feel more comfortable. It's a 50 basis point spread. If it's tighter saying here's where the 30-year the fixed is. Um, you know, it's been interesting. We saw a bunch of lending at mortgage activity in May when rates kind of came back below under 6% again. As the market was pricing in, I think, you know, inflation numbers were coming down. Uh, they've jumped over the last two weeks. And so we have we see that kind of immediately in terms of uh, um, number of uh, home loans coming through our platform. Our our view is I, I, I think home loans will peak around right now. The average 30 year fix, I think, is like seven point a little over seven point oh eight percent. But that doesn't mean you can still get six point two five if you're scanning enough lenders to get the best deal. That's just the the average uh, that we're seeing out there. Um, I, I I think they peak at seven and a half and start coming down is, is our view on uh, on home loans. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. It's definitely an interesting environment now. And I guess for people who don't know, an arm is just an adjustable rate mm-hmm. mortgage where there's a set period of time, yeah. so three years, five years, seven years. When that time is yeah. up, then it goes. Mm-hmm. Then you look into what's the current rate of the market. You also still during that time could go refinance to a fixed rate loan exchange. Everything I'm seeing across the board is most people predict that by the end of 2025, we'll be back into the 4% rates for mortgages. Who knows if that's true or not, but it's hard to imagine a world where things keep going up, where if you can save a decent amount, it might be worthwhile examining that, especially if you don't plan to live there for 30 years too. If you plan to live there for five, seven years, this is a starter home. I think it becomes something even more attractive to look into. 100%. Yep. I think that the time, yeah, your length of stay is is, is really important in that that calculus. And then to your point, also like what is the delta between the 30-year fixed and the, the five-year adjustable rate? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Anything yeah. else to add on mortgages or things to think through? I mean, like, is this an environment yeah. where you see people should for sure be trying to put more down? Um, yeah. What do yeah, you think? Good question. Yeah, I think if you can, I think it does influence, you know, the rate. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it on if you're looking to buy a new home, the, the hardest problem you're going to face right now is just the shortage of supply. 
And that's because a lot of Americans that have low rate mortgages aren't moving. So I think that's another thing that as rates come down, even if a little bit, if you see a bit of a more downward sloping, you'll see a lot more supply because a lot of people like we talk about are kind of in their starter homes and want to move or want to move geographies, but can't because they are in their mortgage. I, I would recommend, honestly, if you're looking to buy a home, I would get pricing across the, the spectrum and see what works best for you. So do 5% down, do 10% down, do 15, do 20 and say, okay, here's how much that's going to shift in pricing by looking at wholesale, retail, and credit unions to see what's the best. Uh, and that's where I think software can come in to, to, to help do that. Uh, but I, I do think in certain markets, we've seen, you know, I live in San Francisco where we have seen home prices come down a, a decent amount. Uh, I think it's also market dependent on on where you think uh, prices are going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That makes sense to me. Okay, cool. So then let's go into HELOCs. So I'm very curious. I I understand the side right now of you probably are seeing more HELOCs because of the, well, let's not move because we have a 3% rate, get to 6% yep. or 7 Maybe what we do is we do a housing project to you know build another room, finish our basement, do things like that. Yep. So I get the attractive nature of that versus moving. But the other side is yep. like, it's still in my mind, high interest debt. I mean, you're yep. eight to uh, 10% variable on, yep. on a loan for something like that. I mean, the hundred thousand, that's 10,000 of interest. And then the other part about it too, is most yeah, times right. that's not going to be over 30 years, right? You're going to be paying that yep. off over five, you know, 10, maybe. So that's a pretty mm-hmm. high monthly payment too. Yeah. That's a great point. So I, I'd say our data, you're right. We have seen, I guess, HELOCs are at a 10 year high, just market overall. And I, and I think we're, what, to your point though, is it the best decision for a client? I think it really depends on their other options. Uh, it, it depends on what the use case of the cash is. Um, we've seen a bunch of HELOCs and the reasons behind them, which we typically see, or to your point, want a home improvement project. Uh, honestly, sometimes it's also paying for kids' college. Sometimes they have kids growing up and they've built up a lot of equity in their home and they want to use the cash to to pay for uh, their, their kids' college. Or a third, unfortunately, a lot of times, sometimes it is a medical expense that sometimes comes up. Uh, but you know, it's a lot of times, what is the use case of the money our view on, on on HELOCs is try to find, if you need cash, what is the reason to try to find the lowest cost to get it at? Uh, we typically only look at HELOC providers. I think the ones that we see to be kind of the most competitive often right now are kind of like third federal connexus and citizens that are more 10-year interest only and then pay out over uh, a 20-year period after that in p and um, And what's the rate? Is it, can you get down, you know, because you're right, prime is eight and a quarter. If you're getting prime plus something, that's a pretty hefty payment you're making each month uh, and how much you're drawing. So I, I think it all depends on can you, how badly do you need the cash? And is this your best option in terms of you've built up a lot of, a lot of Americans, most of their net worth is tied into their home. And so it's all times their, their best option is through a HELOC. But can you access it, whether it's through a security-based line of credit, uh, often an unsecured personal loan will be even higher than a HELOC. Um, and so it ends up being the, the, the best option for most folks. We we recommend that the lenders I mentioned are actually prime minus uh, one basis point right now. And and it shifts and it shifts a lot because you don't know what's going on with the bank's balance sheet. Uh, but that's kind of where we want to want to be to find the best one. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of a hard conversation that we're having with clients is like, well, mm-hmm. hey, you're hoping to move, 
but yeah. you know, moving to yeah. a house that's 25% more might be 75% more of a cost. Yep. And so then yep. you evaluate, you know, okay, well, that's yep. actually probably more costly than doing a HELOC, even though the mm-hmm. HELOC rates aren't great. So is it that do you slow down on investing to save more so you finance yep. less? Or is yep. it you, know, you take out the HELOC and you aggressively pay it down over a few years? You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things to think about here because again, I mean, housing projects are not cheap. I think sometimes yeah, you know, you, yeah. I work with people and they're like, oh, we're going to finish our basement. It's going to be, you know, $20,000. And it's like, no, it's not. It's going to be like $100,000. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's yeah. be real here. And it always ends up being more yeah. than you think. And then all of a sudden you, you have to factor in that you're probably going to have, you know, well over a thousand dollars a month on that, probably 1500, maybe even $2,000 a month payment that you also have to be able to afford without, you know, giving yep. up everything else that you want to. Yeah. No, it's such a good point. And I think you're articulating the, the, the trade-offs uh, based on where folks are. And I think the, uh, I just, I would love as folks think about the trade-offs, they're at least armed with what is the best pricing this person can get. Yeah. To I make mean, it a more, what it is. yeah. Right. I, and, and, and then assume. At the end of the day, if you're going to pay for something and you can't pay cash, you got to evaluate what's the cheapest way to get it done. And sometimes you're evaluating all bad options, but you have to pick the best of the bad option based yep. on the current environment we're in. 100%. Yeah. And it's a really good point you're making throughout though, around like, how do you evaluate also keeping money in the market at the same time? Mm-hmm. And where do you know, even though it's hard to, you know, past performance is indicative, but here's what we've seen over 30 years. Like, how does that play into the decision making process as well? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the cool. tax well, implications. Then- yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Let's go to auto then. I think mm. auto is the last oh, auto we can hit on credit cards um yeah. quickly as well. But auto is an interesting one to me that like, you know, people do still need cars, but I think the average person overextends themselves on what they can yes. really afford, right? I mean, like if I think the general rule of thumb is like somewhere between like eight to twelve percent of gross income total on car yep. costs. So, I mean, if you make a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that means that you could spend eight to 12,000 a year on car payment, yep. gas, insurance, yeah. et cetera. So like a thousand a month payment when the average mm-hmm. person makes $64,000 a year, or 58,000, yep. whatever the number is, yep. that is definitely a little off. Yeah, no, 100%. I think if you look at where we'll see increased delinquencies, we've already started, you know, there's 17 plus trillion dollars in consumer debt out there. Uh, we've already seen kind of the increase, I think, in when the stimulus checks were going out, I think 28% of Americans were carrying a credit card balance month to month. Now it's around 37, 38% that are carrying a balance month to month. Uh, you know, that's accruing interest at 20% plus. Auto, you're already starting to see the delinquencies creep up. Uh, I think it's the next one. And I think it's to your point, folks overextend themselves. And a lot of it is just tough because I think car prices have shot up due to supply chain issues and just a shortage of inventory of cars in particular. So car prices have moved up people still want. So that's kind of one reason to overextending themselves. Then it's also potentially just a preference. You know, people want to drive a certain car that, 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 that overextends themselves. Um, but on auto, also, I think people often get a raw deal from the dealer when they take out an auto loan. And so it's, it's really important, I think, to, to scan. Typically, credit unions tend to be really effective on, on auto, loan, uh, auto loan pricing. But I, I'm very scared of, I, I see a big, you know, increase in folks not being able to afford their auto loan payments. And that just then turning into, you know, it might be a seven or five to 8% or 10% loan that all of a sudden is going to start snowballing because of the, the amount of it, you know, credit card debt might be around 20,000, but your auto loan might be 40,000. And so the amount that you're going to have to end up paying over time will, will increase. But we, 
we haven't seen much auto refis uh, on our software, but we've definitely seen a lot, a lot of requests for new auto loans coming through. So are loans typically cheaper on newer used cars? Mm. Typically on new. Uh, used a lot of a lot of what the the lender is looking at is purely just the the collateral. Uh, so on it, they're looking at sorry two things. Actually, the, the car is important, but a lot of times they're still underwriting the individual's income. So they're underwriting, you know, an auto lender is looking at what is this person's income? How stable is their job? Can we look at that? So their cash flow basis, they're going to pay it for. Then the second thing they look at is the, the collateral. What, is, what do they think the car is worth? Uh, and certain lenders will even go more detailed into how with that car, what really is the resale price if we did have to see uh, on it? Um, but they, they typically obviously don't want to do that. And, and so they'll rely heavily on income and credit score to underwrite the individual. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I think that's probably pretty good on cars. Um, so let's kind of end, end with credit cards. What are we seeing yeah. here? Yeah, credit. We, we're, you know, it's we're seeing a lot of credit increasing as as noted in people with carrying balances month to month and extending themselves. I think it's because typically credit cards used to be used for you know more entertainment or other kind of non essential expenses. Now folks are are using credit cards quite often, whether it's for groceries or, or rent or you know more kind of kind of basics. Um, what we have seen is just the increase because we can track people carrying balances if they're on our software. Uh, increase in people carrying balances. Most are still making their minimum payment, which is at least benefit. I, let me step back actually. Vast majority of clients and financial advisors we see are still paying their credit cards off fully each month. For the ones that aren't, they're still making their minimum payment, but overall folks are increasing their credit card debt. I, I, I think on credit cards, what we're trying to build is something the way an advisor would approach it. Okay, if you're carrying a month-to-month balance on a credit card, there's four things you got to do. One, can you actually use a HELOC or some other course to get a lower rate? Your rate's typically 22% on a credit card right now. Can you do a HELOC to get a lower cost and pay it off? Two, can you get an unsecured personal loan at a low rate and pay it off? Third, does a balance transfer make sense? So yes, you pay a fee, but now you got no interest for 12 months. And then fourth, determine is snowball or avalanche going to be the best solution for you with the, with the credit card debt. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, the, it's hard having the conversation around credit card debt. Like my, my number one Mm. credit card debt is step one is you're done using them actually for Mm. until it's gone. I think it's way too hard to track the progress that you're making when the balance is changing on a month to month basis. And yeah. my thought is if you're in credit card debt, you've proven that you're not the right person to use credit cards. You can, we'll eventually go back to them once we get out of them and we learn the right habits and we use a debit card and you learn your spending. But like yeah. that's step number one. Two is I do look into transfers to 0% cards as long as that ends up putting mm-hmm. you ahead. But I think in most things like refinancing, going down to lower debt makes a lot of sense. I think when credit cards, sometimes it's like a quick fix for people to just go right back yeah. into the same yeah. habit. So I yeah. definitely think find the best strategy, but understand that behavior has to change or, you know, there, there's no way around it, but yeah, interest rates are high. Use credit cards wisely, avoid, you know, letting that build up. And if you can yeah. find a way to yeah. pay them down quicker through lower rates and like credit cards are the only thing where I say like, you know, you stop everything else to do it. Maybe you keep your 401k match because the match is higher if it is higher than that. But other than that, I mean, that should be priority number one is is eliminating that. I mean, you think about it, $10,000 credit card, that's $2,200 of interest based on the average of that 20,000, 30,000. That is, you're you're starting to look at like a paycheck to a month of income to two or plus months of income going just to interest. And that is such a waste. 100, yep, 100%. 
100%. I think the behavior point is really, really interesting uh, yeah. on it in general. Like, how do you, you know, how do you change behavior and have some, some degree of accountability mechanism in that to, to change behavior? Yeah. And that's why a lot of times, even people with debt, they're like, well, I don't have an advisor until I have, you know, enough to invest, which I don't think makes a lot of sense. But in general, like, if you have behavioral issues is actually the best time, right? Like the people who hire a personal yeah. trainer is for the info, but it's more so like, they're going to make sure yeah. I get there and make sure I work hard. Yeah. That's yeah. what a good financial advisor or coach who can help with yeah. that will do is make sure that you're doing the right things. Like I have a couple of clients I've had for a while that have struggled with credit mm. cards while paying me, mm. they made significant progress, increased savings, pay down debt, just sure. because they've actually finally followed a plan. They know what to do. They know yep. what to do next. They have the accountability and that's valuable. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's a good analogy. Why do a lot of people like? like I mean, do a control group on folks that have like a if their their goal is to get you know to be able to I don't know bench press or do something in the gym at, at a certain level. How many folks get there with a trainer, and how many folks get there without one going to the gym at the same time? I'm sure those uh, are going to be pretty skewed. Uh, the person with the yeah, trainer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're seeing like it's interesting on the the other thing with credit card debt is what we see. I don't know if you see this with folks who work with. It's just so psychological. A lot of people just want to ignore it. Because it feels too daunting to even address an attack when you see it. And so they'll start ignoring it. And some cre other credit card companies will still approve you for a new credit card for a while because the credit score lag is quite long, typically. And so yeah. you can still go down. And, and so I, that's what we've seen, too. So it's a uh, it very much is a behavioral thing. Yeah, I see one other behavioral thing I see is that people choose to hold savings versus pay down that credit card debt. And they'll have like 10,000 of credit card debt and they'll have, you know, 12,000 of savings and they'll be like, well, I need that savings. It makes me feel comfortable. It's like, yeah, yeah but you're wasting like $4,000 or like, you know, $2,500 a year by leaving yeah. this here versus pay it off, have 2000. Now you can replenish yeah. it quicker because you have extra that can go to savings. You know, yeah. or maybe you just leave three thousand or five thousand in savings, but you chunk away a good amount. Like there's something behavioral about what like people view. I'm only making progress if I see my cash savings go up. That's how we're wired. Yeah. I think yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll kind of be like, "Hey, I just feel like we haven't made any progress." We'll look. They'll have one hundred and fifty thousand of net worth growth in the last year from savings, investing, and paying down debt. But their yeah. emergency fund is down three thousand because they just had to use sure. it, and they feel like they're in a worse place. Because that's sure. the only part in their dashboard, you know, they open their bank accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, but it's how do you make the net worth the North Star. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like we're um, going to be in the future. Yeah. Okay, any other parts of debt that you want to hit on before we kind of walk into Sora a little bit? Um, no, I think, I mean, the other thing that we, we do see continue to small business funding to an extent, you know, oh, yeah. we're more, uh, you know, whether it is, you know, a lot of small businesses are trying to, uh, ensure kind of a little bit longer, I'd say runway to an extent, for lack of a better word. I know that's more of a startup term, but uh, we're, we're continuing to see activity on the, on the small business side. But uh, I think that's business has got to run. So the rates are what they are. Uh, and, and we're probably seeing more small business owners pay more attention to uh, what are their options and look beyond their typical go-to lender they yeah. typically work with. Is it tougher to get business loans right now? It is. Yeah. I think the, the banking crisis and or I don't call it crisis, but you know, the SVB and all that, I think what you've seen is a little, it, it's, it was pretty bad for a couple months right after that, where almost all credit providers or even regional banks and small banks that kind of are the bedrock of a lot of small businesses, um, tightened up credit and, and didn't want to lend. And so for a bit, it was even folks that have longstanding relationships with banks. 
I signed it up. We're seeing it open up more, but I'd say it's still harder now than it was before the crisis uh, in terms of their underwriting standards. Yeah. And it's always honestly been tough, right? I mean, a lot of businesses mm-hmm. are looking for loans are a few years into business, revenues drastically yeah. change. They might be don't have a ton of ongoing clients. It's hard to get yeah. business loans, honestly. I mean, people talk about it all the time. They throw on Twitter, the like, you know, you're 18, you have no idea what you do. You're going to get 200,000 of student loans and you're going to mm-hmm. go art major, you can get a loan, but yeah. a business with three years of revenue can't get a hundred thousand dollar loan. You know, those are jokes, but yeah. they're actually pretty true. Honestly, like I've had clients, you know, we had yeah, somebody who was yeah. going, they were buying out a third partner, you know, they were yeah. doing millions of dollars of revenue. They thought they had the loan. Yeah. SBA denies them after six months on the day they're supposed to get the loan. And you're like, how yes. do you make this make sense? You know, they they could pay off that loan through profits over six months if they wanted, yeah. to, but they wanted to keep free cash flow to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. And I think a lot of small, that's where I think there is actually a huge opportunity for more innovative small business funders. I, I also really don't like the, even though I get it, the personal guarantee that small business owners have to go through often. And if you don't own uh, a house and have a mortgage or yeah. whatever, it makes it even harder. 100%. Yeah. Because uh, I think it, it it stunts to a degree the dyna- dynamism dynamism of our economy. Uh, a lot of times, the, the free flowing capital to small business owners, which account for I don't know what is it sixty seventy percent of jobs in America. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's definitely been harder. Uh, it's always been hard, and it's even harder. I know that's tough to hear for a lot of small business owners. But what we're and, and that's driven by us. You know, our small business product is more manual. We'll take the profile and and shut it versus software driven, and just what we're hearing from talking to the small business lenders. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So let's now segment over to Sora a little bit. So um, obviously the reason we brought you on is because you know this space really well, but one issue that I found with my clients is finding lending, right? Like, I mean, it's not an easy thing. You can go to Chase, you can go to Ally. I mean, you go to, you can go to a big bank and kind of try to find lending, but you're limited there. Or you talk to your client and they're like, Hey, you know, we have a good relationship with X local banker and like them because, but they've really never even got good deals. They just feel like they get approved. And so it's good. And there's no good way to go shop around and explore options. And so, you know, I'm guessing that was kind of the premise of what why you guys started is you saw like there's no real solution to that in this space, especially now as advisors go national, right? Like I have clients in California yeah. and Texas and yep. Florida, like having relationships with bankers in all of those spaces yep. is really yep. hard. And we yep. need to be able to find our clients the best debt they can. I, I think that's a, a pivotal part of our job, right? Like if I can find yep. them 1% lower loan on yep. anything pretty big, that's like larger than my fee would even cost them. Sure, 100 Hundred percent. You know, we started it out of honestly based on personal experience. Like I like to think of myself as relatively well versed in, in personal finance, and I'm just super interested in it. And when my wife and I refinanced our student loans, I still didn't feel necessarily confident that I was getting the best deal. Yeah. And then same thing when we took out our first, uh, you know, uh, our first mortgage. We bought a home in, in May of uh, 2021. Uh, I still felt like I didn't know if I was getting the same thing. So I said, like, "This is a great problem for software to solve." I you know, the reason we, it's essentially that what we want to do with advisors is, you know, we think advisors right now, it's a huge opportunity for advisors to add a lot more value to their clients to say, not only do I manage your assets, not only do I help with planning or retirement and, you know, college or whatnot, I or insurance, I help in taxes, I help with your debt, which is a big part of your net worth. And what does that mean? It means if you're ever taking out a new loan, I can feel confidence that I'm shopping enough lenders to your point to get you the best deal. And then two, I think our, our software is pretty powerful on the proactive side. So when you know we have advisors add their clients to to Sora, uh, we're constantly monitoring 
their credit score or their debt to income ratios with our lenders on the back end. Like, is there ever an opportunity to save money on your existing debt? Um, that'll be more probably more prevalent when rates drop. You know, if you're buying a home now, so as, as uh, you know, right now, obviously not as many rate term refi opportunities. Um, but I think uh, that's a, a big component of it. And then the third component, which we're building out right now, is how do you make the execution more seamless? Like, it's still a clunky process. Like, even to say, hey, I want to take this loan, working with a lender, how do we take the information and more seamlessly try to shrink the amount of days it takes to close? Um, but yeah, that's the that's the the main premise by, behind Sora. I think it's uh, particularly, you know, we look at it as uh, as a huge wealth transfer takes place too, with a bunch of these younger clients are going to be experiencing debt, and it's a way for advisors to kind of be tip of the spear on how they uh, transition into this younger client base. Definitely. I mean, I obviously think it's our job to help them evaluate the debt situation. And, you know, I came to you guys because it was the refinancing. And it's funny, if you guys would have been like one or two years earlier and you would have had like the whole, you know, low rates option, that would have been an insane kickoff. But now you guys get to build all of the solution in an environment where maybe it's happening less, but all forecast for the next few five years is that that's going to start to drop and start to change. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be tons of refinancing options for clients. For sure. For sure. Yep. Completely agree. So, okay, cool, man. Yeah. Well, all advisors, I would recommend, you know, checking out Sora. They're a really great tool. They're super helpful for, you know, us and our clients. Um, but thank you for joining us today. Let everybody know kind of the best places to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Thomas. It was really, really fun. We got a lot of Really fun wow. content. Uh, yeah. So Sora Finance, you, you obviously follow us on at our, our website, www.sorafinance.com. Uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter at, at Rohit G. Agarwal. Uh, and then on LinkedIn, uh, Rohit Agarwal and or uh, Sora Finance on LinkedIn. We're often posting quite frequently on LinkedIn are the, the main spots. But uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you back next week. <laughs>